Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. Please give a listen to all my new Pet Talk radio shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, co-hosted by top experts at RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of 8 Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content and is brought to you with the generous support of Platinum Performance Supplements, Precious Cat Litter, Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Feel Away and Adaptil, and Waruva Pet Foods. Waruva is a privately owned company named after the owner's cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. They are dedicated to the highest quality ingredients in their cans and pouches. People could even eat it because it's all made in a human food facility, so everything in there is good enough for us to eat. All the flavors of Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are great for finicky cats, especially those you're trying to transition away from dry kibble. I have a lovely mixed bag of guests today on the show. The first one's going to be what to do if your cat gets up a tree. Now, Canopy Conservation's out in in, in Washington State, so it's not going to help us on the east end of Long Island, but we're going to get lots of great advice from Sean Sears. Then I have the author, Larry Kay, whose book, Life's a Bark, is really dog philosophy for humans, what dogs teach us about life and love. And I was very, very touched by it. And then from Ontario, Canada, we have the head of the Ontario SPCA to talk about the dangers of dogs and cars in the summer and some of the things you just have to keep in mind. I'm going to get the show started right up a tree. Hey, Sean, welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. Hi, Tracy. How's it going? Oh, super. I, I've learned about your company, which is really a tree company, right? I mean, you and your partner are those really cool guys that climb trees like supermen and do good things for trees, right? I mean, you, you fix broken branches, or I guess you take trees down when you need to. And that's your main business, isn't it? Uh, you know, we do a little bit of that. Um, we also do uh, contract work for uh Washington State Fish and Wildlife and Puget Sound Energy. Um, oh, nice! The, yeah, those we actually climb up into eagle nests and osprey nests and install cameras and stuff like that. Oh so, my god, we, that's really cool! I didn't realize that. Yeah, so oh, we don't do a whole a really, lot of like. You have a, a very fun life. I learned about you. Someone had sent me the link to the fact that you are tree guys who do cat rescue. And yeah, I think this is so amazing. And you, if you could clone yourselves, I'm sure you would be much in demand all over the country because wherever there are trees and cats, they wind up together and not always necessarily harmoniously. When did you first mm-hmm. become cat rescue guys? We know the fire department. Historically, people think you call yeah. the fire department and they waste their time with a fire truck going up a tree for your cat. Right. Your answer is no, we don't. Figure it out for yourself. How did you wind up in this special niche of a niche? Um, well, Tom, my brother-in-law, uh, originally um, was uh, listed on cat in a tree rescue.com, which is a national wide database of arborists that will come out and uh, assist you with your cat in a tree. And so for those folks in the Long Island area or, or on the East Coast, if they find themselves with a cat in a tree, they can go to 
catinatreerescue.com and find a directory there. Wow, that's um, amazing. That's a great thing to know yeah. about. So he was originally listed on that, and uh, and six or seven years ago, we we kind of got the idea. Well, um, we're we're on this we're on this list, but everybody that we run into is really they really have a hard time finding this list. So we yes. decided to make our decided to make our own company, and so we spent uh, a year or two doing cat rescue, and then we realized that a lot of people can't afford. Um, the sort of a steep price that a lot of arborists will give them right off the bat, whether it's $150 or $200, a lot of folks aren't prepared to spend that in an emergency when their cat's just up in a tree. And so we decided to go to donation only, which means that we will come out and rescue your cat regardless of the owner's ability to pay or not. Really? And oh, my God. Are you guys like giant cat lovers or just big hearted? Do, do either of you own a cat? Both, yeah. You do? We both own, yeah, we both own, uh, uh, I own two cats, uh, Tom owns one cat. And so did you start out life as a major cat lover, or did it sneak up on you? Oh, uh, I think we've we've always owned cats, and uh, we've always, uh, at least myself, I've always had a really big heart for cats. Um, and, you know, when we became adults, it just kind of became something that, was really natural. We both love climbing trees and we both love helping people and cats. And I think that it. is the coolest thing. I'll tell you a story of what happened to me when I lived in East Hampton and I was given, I guess, not good advice. I had mm-hmm. my, my naughty, naughty Weimaraners chased a neighbor's cat up one of my trees. And it was a tree uh-huh. that I had had arborists climb, as I did with all my trees, and take off all the dead, ugly lower branches. So it was a white pine and it had no branches uh-huh. at all, like for gripping on the way down. So the cat had gotten up and now the cat was way up there in a branch that was way up. So I called the fire department. I was a member of, of the, the uh, volunteer ambulance. I thought, well, maybe they'll give me, maybe they'll help me because I'm like one of them, but they couldn't. I mean, obviously couldn't bend the rules. And they said, and then I called the local animal control and they said, any place a cat can get up, a cat can get down. I was so distraught about this cat. I thought, Oh, my God, he's going to die in the tree because he'll never get down because even if I put that dogs in the house, they were just so scary with, you know, big glass windows. They could bark out at it. The cat did get down. But from looking at your website, it doesn't seem like every cat can get down out of a tree. They can get up. So that's not true wisdom, is it? No, no, that is absolutely not true. It's really bad advice that – um you know, some uh, some people will, will tell us advice, whether it's a fire department or like a dispatch unit or whatever. Um, but the fact is, is that, yes, some cats can climb down on their own, but it's a very small percentage. Um, most cats climb up a tree and uh, they get up there and they don't they don't really have the ability to climb down via the shape of their claws. Um, That's right. Having said that, we have seen cats climb down, and it's kind of it's like a controlled stumble slash fall. Wow! Um, it's very un- it's very unsafe. It's uh it's uh very likely that they'll get injured. Wow! Um, and then and then most time they just get they get stuck up in a tree and they they get weak and they don't have the ability to really think about what's best and then they just get so weak that they eventually fall or die or get chased out from crows or hawks or whatever. Oh my goodness. 
So it's a serious um, emergency. I mean, there's no two ways it, around it. It's not like when the cat gets hungry right. enough, he'll come down. The cat will just give up. I mean, physically yeah. becomes so weakened that he just loses his grip yeah. and just and just has like a suicidal plunge. Right. Exactly. And one of the biggest uh, misinformations out there is I still hear it. Sometimes I'll go out to a cat rescue and we'll see some neighbors walking by and they'll be like, oh, the cat will come down when it's hungry. I'm like, really? Like, how do you, how do you know that? You don't think that cat's hungry up there? Of course she's hungry. Yeah, and um, scared and really scared and, and really scared. stressed. And when you have all those that, you know, cortisol in your bloodstream from fear, fight or flight, you yeah. can't even function properly. And you're right about the claws. They only go one direction. Yeah. You can't unhook your own claw that's dug into the wood and exactly. then place it below yeah. you. I mean, that's something that humans do with crampons or whatever they're called, right? Uh, yeah, as far as mountaineering goes, yep, crampons. What about you guys? What is the name of the, the really cool – there are things that attach to your boots that you dig in with. Is that right? Uh, those are called spikes um, uh, or, or gas, and you see a lot of like uh, old-school tree climbers or like pole climbers use those. Um, and we will occasionally use those in an emergency, um, but most of the time we have a different technique that we use to climb trees. We'll – we have a big slingshot that will sling a weighted line up into the tree, and then via that weighted line, we'll pull up a climbing rope that'll support our body weight, and then we'll climb up that. And then um, there's a, a a number of systems that uh, we'll use, kind of de- depending on the situation. And then we'll kind of lower ourselves over to the kitty, and hopefully grab the kitty and head on down. What about the cat being so scared that it would claw or scratch you? Do you wear? Are you're already wearing some kind of gloves for your own protection, but do you wear right. different ones for cat rescue? Um, yes and no. We 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 have a couple different options. Uh, most of the time, we just use uh, standard tree climbing gloves. Where actually, they're kind of like gardening gloves, where they kind of they have a sticky grip on one side, and they're really yes. great for grab ropes and stuff like that. Um, if we anticipate sometimes the cat might be feral or uh, haven't had a whole lot of uh, human contact, we will bust out a leather glove. Um, but again, that doesn't protect our arms and our legs from getting right. Or even, or even your face, right? I mean, if the cat's just totally right. terrified, do you feel that you have some cat mojo like Jackson galaxy or somebody where the cat really senses that you're Absolutely. there for their good and they, and they trust Absolutely. you? Cause I would believe that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I believe that Tom and I have um, a little bit more uh, what it takes to rescue cats out of trees than just your your standard tree service. Um, some people will just call your standard tree service and say, hey, can you get my cat out of the tree? But, you know, those guys aren't really that experienced. They might be experienced in climbing trees, but they're not experienced in handling animals in a tree. And it really takes a, a, a lot more patience and a lot more know-how to kind of realize kind of what this animal is going through to even get close to it before you can grab it. That's what I'm thinking, Um, because is it possible that if you move too quickly and didn't respect their space and their fear, they might let go, not on purpose, but just out of terror, and you're all the way up there, and now you've caused their death when you were trying to avoid it. Right, yep. And, uh, I mean, obviously, knock on wood, we've never had a death, um, but we have had cats get... uh, minor injuries from falls and, uh, and jumps from the tree. Um, and occasionally that does happen. Um, 
but uh, for the most part, we're we're able to get up there, get close to the cat, and kind of get on its good side, and then uh, and then grab it and go on down. Well, it is really important to, to, to bust this myth. If you've come in late, I'm talking to Sean Sears, who with his brother-in-law has a company out in the Puget Sound area of Washington State called Canopy Con- Conservation. And they are tree guys who do cat rescue, but you do a lot of other really cool things in trees, too. Before you tell us a little about the cameras and the nests and all that neat stuff, is there any are there any, like, five top tips or suggestions you can make to cat lovers about – how they can help their cat. Let's say your cat hasn't gone up 60 feet up a tree, but it's gone up a lot of feet beyond you. Does it make any sense to somehow prop a ladder against the tree? Would that be something that the cat would use? No, right? I mean, a cat doesn't know how to use a ladder. No, I would I would say that that doesn't really help that often. The only time the ladder is going to help is just getting the owner a little close to the cat. And right. they may be able to kind of coax it down a little bit. Um but uh, for the most part, if the cat is way up in the tree, you don't have a whole lot of options other than a professional tree climber. Um, or, in, you know, the fire departments really aren't going to help you. But in, in a rare case, in maybe a small town where the firefighters don't got much going on, yes, they might um, they might come out and kind of give it a look and kind of see what they can do. But kind of in the big city, um, you're, you're not going to get the fire department to come out at all. Um, and even so, in small towns like like the towns on the East End, where all of emergency services are volunteer, fire, and ambulance, you don't really have a crew sitting around a barn, and no one's going to put out an emergency call for exactly. the cat in the tree. So if you happen yeah. to come by and someone's washing down a rig, maybe that's the guy that could drive the truck, but then he's probably not the guy that you know knows how to go up the ladder necessarily. So it's pretty unrealistic. Right. I think it's really important for people to know that if your cat's in a tree, your cat is in serious jeopardy. Your cat does mm-hmm. not have nine lives. And it's the sort of the same idea that people have, which makes me nuts, about people letting their, their cats be free and loose cats when they live in densely populated areas, which the east end of Long Island, all of Long Island is densely populated and more Mercedes per square inch than humans, much less cats. And they say, oh, my cat knows how to handle being out. He's, he knows how to avoid cars. I mean, it's the same idea. I mean, so tell that to the dead cat or the dead squirrel right. or the dead rabbit or the dead raccoon. I mean, there's no way four-legged creatures can can avoid cars. And they certainly, once they've gone up a tree, I, I assume they all go up out of a fear situation, right? Right. Yeah, usually there's a trigger, um, whether it's a dog, a raccoon, or like a, uh, a your local cat bully. Um, it's usually something that chases them up the tree. I've heard, I've heard owners say, oh, the cat was chasing a squirrel or a bird up there, but I'm, I'm more, I'm more likely to believe that it was scared up there via like one of those things I said, a cat, dog or raccoon or something like that. Or, um, or when you say a bully, you mean a bad human? No, like a cat. Uh, so like oh, some, another some cat, cat, right? Yeah. Like an actual cat. Um, and like some some owners don't know that it's best to get your cat um, spayed and neutered. And if your cat is not spayed or neutered, it's gonna it's gonna get a lot of negative attention from your local neighborhood cat bully that senses your cat as a threat because it's not fixed. Absolutely. Um, yep. And then it's gonna it's gonna want to fight it, and then it's gonna your cat's gonna want to get away, and it's gonna run a tree. 
Well, this is um, so yet another reason to not let cats run loose because I honestly, myself, and you'd think having researched and written the Cat Bible and spent all those years on Cat Chat on the air that I would have known this about cats and trees being a life-threatening danger, but I didn't. And I was, I had, I had my doubts. It didn't make sense to me, but it was sort of like popular wisdom. Don't worry. They'll come down when they're ready. Just give them a chance. So it's yet another reason to not let your dogs, your cats out loose, because if there's dogs out loose or even scary dogs behind a fence and your cat takes refuge up a tree, that may be the the last you'll see of them. So, you know, Sean is not going to be flying from Washington State to the Hamptons. I mean, I'm sure he'd be delighted if you want to send your private plane, <laughs> but it's probably not going to be in enough time. Tell a little bit about what you guys do in terms of wildlife conservation and management up a tree. That That's super cool. So you can uh, you can go to the uh, Washington Fish and Wildlife website, and there's a, uh, a program on there called the Watchable Wildlife, um, and you can uh, – you can – get a bird's eye view of a, uh, an eagle nest, an osprey nest, and a couple other nests. But we do the wow. ones that are osprey, um, osprey and eagle. And so you can get on there and you can uh, look, at the, uh, look at the nest and look at the chicks and look at the bird. And Oh, my God. That uh, is really great. cool. Great. And it, and it develops much more respect and awe for nature and why we are trying right. to protect these various critters. And, and only a camera like yours can give us the so-called, excuse the expression, bird's eye view. Well, this is really great right. advice. I'm sorry to come to it sort of late in the day, but catinatreerescue.com. Maybe we'll get some local arborists from the, the Hamptons and Long Island and Connecticut area who might be listening to list themselves because if they love animals and they've got the equipment, what a great combination. Thank you, Sean, to you and to your brother-in-law for, for the wonderful service that you do. And the fact that it's donation only, I think that's incredibly kind. And I hope people, when they hear that, give you twice as much as they would have otherwise. Have a great, I just want to say, yes, I just want to say canopy, uh, uh, canopy conservation is our, our company that we do all the other wildlife stuff with canopy cat rescue. Okay. It's the company that we do cat rescue under, and Perfect. we document all of our cat rescues on our Facebook page. Um, one of the great things that we do is take pictures. We document all the cats that we rescue. Nice. And a lot of people, a lot of people really love to hear about um, those stories, and you can follow those stories on our Facebook page. That's really fun. That is a great idea, and it, it'll be a reminder to everybody that if you see a cat in a tree. Don't just walk on by. See something, do something. Thanks a lot, Sean. Have a great rest of the day. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back in just a minute with Larry Kay and Lisa Bark. This show has been supported by Platinum Performance since its first broadcast. Platinum Performance makes comprehensive nutritional supplements which contain nutrients designed to improve overall health at a cellular level, especially joint health and the arthritis that comes with aging. Platinum Performance makes supplements for dogs, cats, horses, and people, too. We are also supported by the pheromone products Feelaway for Cats and Adaptal for Dogs. Pheromones are chemical communicators that are a natural signal of comfort in your pet's brain. Feelaway and Adaptal plug-in diffusers are stress relievers that can help with anxiety or behavior issues and also help adopted pets make the adjustment to their new homes. Veterinarians carry Feelaway, which can reduce problems in a multi-cat household, and they have Adaptil collars, which can help dogs with anxiety from separation, thunderstorms, or travel. 
I am back with Larry Kay and this absolutely delicious book, Life's a Bark, What Dogs Teach Us About Life and Love. I, I have to just tell you guys that when I first learned of the book, it looked real cute and I thought, okay, it's a cute book. It's a gift book and maybe that'll be okay. I mean, I'm not against gift books, but, you know, I need things that sort of have some kind of substance because, you know, I'm pretty picky. The book arrived and I opened it up and I went, this isn't a gift book. This book is a gift. Larry Kay, welcome to the show. I am really excited to meet who must be the cheerfulest man on the planet. Bless you. Thanks, Tracy. It's so great. I mean, it's funny because your bio says you were a dog trainer, but clearly you're a human inspirational trainer. I mean, sure, you might have trained a few hundred dogs in your life, but... The, the messages that you have transformed from the kinds of things that we feel naturally about our pets and then we don't feel that way about our human uh, companions, it's very touching. I was – I mean I started, to, I started to mark the pages that I wanted to talk about and I was like, this is no good. I'm marking every single page. That's not going to get us very far. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bring up one example. Plus the pictures are to die for. Oh my god. Mm. They're so delicious. So – it was sure a lot of fun doing the photo editing. You know, the oh, funny thing God. is, and I think the part of the inspiration for the book is, Tracy, is that, you know, we always hear about what we teach our dogs, how yes. we train them, how we shape them into yes. our ways of living. But the funny thing is, is dogs train us as much as we train them if we're willing to listen. But And to pay attention. And that's, I think, what your book is extraordinary in doing. Life's mm-hmm. a Bark makes us attentive to the obvious, but it, it's not obvious if you're not paying attention. It's sort of a yeah. stop, take time to stop and smell the roses. I mean, a lot of this could actually be a really great country western song, just full of all this really <laughs> feel good, like uplifting, like it's okay to be sad. Even that, I mean, wow, some of that part was like, yeah, dogs can feel really sad and we, we feel empathetic towards them, but do we ever let ourselves, do we give ourselves that space? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of messaging in here that's really profound as well as practical, like in a business sense. It seems to me that IBM or Xerox or some company should be sprinkling these messages amongst their, their, their crew of people because they'd play better together. You know, if, if life is a, yeah. a human dog park, they, we need to have better examples. And I think you set such great ones. So let's talk mm-hmm. about the one called Listen Well. Yes. Say a little about what your thoughts are about this and, and also on, on every page besides at least a couple of really yummy photos it gives your your thoughts on something that we know about dogs or we want to teach to dogs or that are part of dogs nature and then you have on each one try this how to apply those ideas to your human thought process or your human interactions and those were the things that really caught me up short i thought i need to be trying a lot of this it could become i could become like a cult like i could start <laughs> you know worshiping at this altar because there is just such positive, cheerful, uplifting messaging. So when you say listen well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? You know, dogs speak, well, we don't speak dogs, so we must communicate clearly, consistently, and patiently with them. And it's so wonderful when a dog listens to us without judgment, with just being attentive to what's going on. And you mentioned that word before. So the best way that I've learned to listen is by using what's called the L-O-V-E love system. L stands for listen. That means don't speak. Listen. (laughs) O, observe. 
what is going on with the person's tone, what's going on yes. with body language. Yes. V stands for verify. Once you've heard something, try to feedback exactly what you thought you heard without interpreting it, but just so that the person can be another V validated that you've that they've that they've been heard. Yes. And E stands for empathize. Show that you understand what is going on. And do all of this, L-O-V-E, with curiosity, without judgment, to walk just, a mile. Just, just as our dogs do. Although, Amen. of course, they may not get the full intent of it, but they, but they really, they're there in a caring way. It's why people form these bonds with dogs when their dogs die. How many people say, I cried more at the funeral, or I'm more grief-stricken six months or six years later than when my uncle died? Even parents died, and people feel embarrassed by that and self-conscious I, and guilty. I've had, I've had that experience exactly, Tracy. You know, the, um, yes. in the book, there's that spread, Life After Dog. Yes. And I felt some guilt, some even shame, that I, as you said, cried more for my dog than I did for one of my best friends when he passed away. Yes. And, and you wow. know, that, that just speaks to the, the profound realization we have of, of what this connection is. So on the Listen Well page of Life's a Bark, it says, try this. Now, this just cracked me up. Listen to someone without giving any advice. Now, why did it crack me up? Those of you who have listened to me for nearly a decade know the very first thing I want to do is give you advice. No, no, never mind. That isn't. <laughs> oh, oh, you should tell him to go to hell and you should, you know, paint that cabinet white or whatever it may be. But listening without giving advice is such a relief. I, years ago, I have a sister who luckily doesn't listen to the show because I'm always saying things about her untrained Brussels griffins that came from a pet store. But She'd gotten to a new apartment. She can sort of, I'm the silver lining, she's the gray cloud kind of person. She'd gotten a new apartment and the bathroom was small. It was in New York City. Oh God, I can't fit anything in this bathroom. Well, what about going to Bed Bath & Beyond and finding a shelf? A shelf won't work. Well, what about if you got baskets? Baskets won't work because they scratch things. I was coming up with all these suggestions. And my, my godmother at the time said to me, I said, it's just so frustrating talking to her. She said, what if you just said to her, gosh, that must be really hard for you. And this is what that advice is. Listen, observe, and empathize. Oh, so you're really having a hard time with that. Man, that must be really hard for you. And the great thing when you give up trying to give advice and solve people's problems is they say, yeah, it really is. Let's go have a drink. You know, it's <laughs> like it isn't – you're not solving, you know, world peace or cancer. People just want you to hear, to verify them, right, and to say, well, that, that must feel bad or that must be hard or how frustrating or oh, golly. It's true, and sometimes we can come up with those great ideas ourselves when we're working through a problem or a concern, but what we first need more than that is to make sure that we've been validated, V, and E, empathized with. Yep. And then there's a, here's, a, here's another great one. It has this dog totally covered in mud. God forbid these four people <laughs> have to clean this dog. And this one is, and again, this is how... What dogs teach us about life and love, which is really, I think, the, the philosophical theme of your book. And this is a great book, I would have to say also, for kids of any age. A, an adult would have to read it to a smaller child. But the, the advice in it is also great for parents of any age because this is really how children of any age should be brought up without, you know, so much harsh tone and, and negativity and anger 
more an understanding that you know we're, we're going to work this out together. So discipline me in a nice way. I find that people will be much more harsh and critical and sarcastic to their partners or to their children than they would ever be to a dog. Is that something that also has occurred to you? I mean, we wouldn't say to a dog, what the heck's the matter with you? How stupid are you? Well, Wait, it you does, know that, that? You know, that does happen. Some people, you know, still do what's called aversion-based training. You know, but what we learn in dog training is praise. We learn that the carrot works better than the stick. Right. You know, we learn to praise our dogs to give rewards, treats, toys, affection, and golly, you know, dogs praise us so easily with their yes. unconditional slobbery kisses. You know, but but think about it. It's like when's the last time you know you praised yourself? You That's know? the whole point of your book is that you don't even say it about other people, but about ourselves. That's the thing that really knocked me out. Really, because nobody, there's no advice out there saying, oh, learn from your dog and be as kind to yourself as you are to your dog or understand that what works in a positive way for your dog will work for you with me, myself, and I. Mm, what was yeah. the point at which you realized that? It, was it when you were a dog trainer or have you always been this kind of a kind person? Well, thank you. I, I, I do, I'm told that I have a natural kindness and, uh, that comes and, through. and maybe that's why I did gravitate toward dog training. I certainly found that when I was writing my first dog training book called Training the Best Dog Ever, and that uh, I found that so many of these lessons we can apply to our human relationships and that this positive reinforcement way was not just beneficial to the dog, but when we put praise out into the world, when we put rewards, that we're also putting a blessing out in the world. We're putting mm -hmm. goodness. We're creating the kind of world we want to live in. So why wouldn't it be better all the way around? And in some ways, you know, it, that was writing the dog training book was the genesis for writing the, this book. You know, it became, gee, we think we're teaching the dogs, but the dogs are actually teaching us about those bigger things like love and living a richer life. But, you know, it's sort of like why a, a preacher or a minister or an inspirational speaker it, it sort of gives, has an uncanny grasp of the obvious and is able to point something out to you so people can have light bulb moments mm. of things that they were right in front of them, but they'd never, no one had ever shined a light on it or pointed it out. Along those lines, you have one, one of your, your tips, if that's the right word, is smile and the whole world yeah. smiles with you. <laughs> dogs smile naturally. There's darling pictures of, of dogs doing what we think of as smiles. And then this is the part that really, it's right what you're saying. Your, your suggestion on this one is try this. Smile in public for no reason. Smile at someone else who is smiling too. A lot of these little thought experiments are radical. They're really radical, Larry. People would never smile for no good reason. Well, I've, I've lived in New York City, and sometimes it can be thought of dangerous or yes. even really nutty, you know, to uh, be smiling, making any kind of even eye contact with another. Well, you know, I, I remember... Get on the subway and 
put on our headphones, That's, put on our sunglasses. <laughs> or even if you're on a beautiful street in Bridgehampton. Several years mm. ago, I was doing a fundraiser on the sidewalk in front of the most charming store in, in Bridgehampton. It was for the, the Southampton Animal Shelter. That's the official shelter of the show. And all these wonderful volunteers had brought these hot, panting dogs out for the day on the sidewalk. And the volunteers were wearing vests and the dogs were wearing vests. And I was trying to get the attention of people who were supposedly having a fun summer Saturday and say, hi, would you like a bag of goodies? Because all Mm. the sponsors of my show had given me stuff. And I thought, it's just a way to connect with people. And if they want to look at an adoptive dog or give a dollar to the shelter, that'd be fine too. I couldn't get people to stop. They looked like they were trudging to the gallows. These people were walking seriously. They had four shopping bags and a, a latte. And it's like, hi, do you have a dog? They wouldn't answer. They wouldn't smile. Hi, do you have a kitty? No. And they'd keep on walking. It's like, wow, smile and the whole world will smile with you, right? I mean, what a sad way to go through your Saturday. God forbid somebody should hand you a bag of goodies. That, that can't be right. You know? Yeah, it, it does take some training, you know? Yes. And as we know with dog training, it, it, it comes in moments and we must be patient and we must stay positive. Yeah, and, <laughs> and by the way, if we keep on with that, we're going to be doing our best. Yeah, and then by the way, in that anecdote, I might add, and some wonderful staff from the shelter were there and a volunteer, uh, just great people. And I said, Cheeps, what's with people? They're so crabby and suspicious. But really, if I was to get the message of this book, I, and those were dogs and not humans, I wouldn't be judgmental about them, Larry. I would think that poor dog must have been abused. That poor dog's had a lousy life. That poor dog's not been out socialized much, and he doesn't know that other people or dogs might be friendly. And then I would have had a different reaction to those people. So it isn't those people that just need life's a bark. I needed it too. Because if they were dogs, I would would be empathetic. I would show them some L-O-V-E in that phrase of yours. I would... I would stop and, and verify what's going on with them. Oh, I'll be a little more gentle and kind. I'll just oh, smile. I won't be sarcastic, you, you know? You, you said that beautifully. I mean, dogs appreciate us so much, and they accept us as we are, you know? They even treat us like royalty when we may not deserve us. They don't judge us, but they do forgive us, and they show us how to love unconditionally. And I think that many of us that share our lives with animals – have also learned within that very small framework of that four-legged, two-legged relationship to be fairly unconditional most of the time, maybe even sometimes not even disciplined enough and not even setting any boundaries or limits that might make it life more comfortable for the dog. Mm. But we have not extended that to other people and certainly not to ourselves. And I think that the beauty of this book is to turn that generosity of spirit that we're willing to share with our dogs back on ourselves and create this internal positive feedback loop that is missing. We're, we're always rushing too much, and we're, we're too quick to be critical of ourselves. You know, I mean, on small things and large things, and the book is just full of all these little examples of ways to praise yourself and be kind to self and, I don't know, be your own best friend. That sounds yeah. really corny, but no, if your well, dog is your best friend, you know, you better be a good friend to yourself as well. Right? Yes, yes. We could all use a dose of this in our lives. I judge. Yes. You know, couldn't, couldn't we all accept you know, ourselves as well as others a little better? Couldn't we tell ourselves, I love you? Yes, exactly. I, I think that self-love and acceptance are the keys to unlocking the door to true beauty. 
Yep. And to living a, a to living a fully experienced life with all the sadness and the the heartache and the joy. All of it can be very small, you know, or the large ones too. And Jazzy agrees with that. I just want to say that. that as we as we wrap up, there's one page that touched me almost more than anything. Make my home a forever home. We're all very good. Those of us that listen to dog talks, preaching to the choir, everybody, you know, volunteers at shelters, adopts from shelters, adopts from rescues, uh, you know, gives their time, gives their energy. Oh, this poor dog. Oh, wow. I turned their life around. And as you point out under try this, and it really meant something to me. Close your eyes. Imagine yourself homeless. Open your eyes. Be grateful for three things in your home. Without guilt or shame, consider one thing that would make your home better. Now imagine yourself volunteering to provide homes for others. And I just want to say, Larry, that as much attention as we give to dogs in our lives, and good for us for doing it, there are people without homes and people without love and people without shelter or food. And I really think it's important that the lessons we learn from what we're able to give and do to the pets in our in our society, we have got to be fearless and extend that same generosity to other people. I dare say they honestly need it more than the dogs do. It's just a lot harder to do. It's a lot more complicated, right? It's like smiling on the subway. But I really have to take my hat off to this book for for helping people to find those baby steps to just be as good to other people as you want to be to your dog or your dog is to you. You've done a beautiful job with this book. Thank you, Tracy. It's thanks really for thanks for, for your wonderful philosophies. And I know that anybody who gets this book and hands it to someone else, even somebody grumpy or certainly even someone that doesn't have a dog, there's a chance that some sunlight may fall inside the little cave of their mind. It will help them and help you with them. So it really is a gift, truly. And uh, and I hope that that everyone has a chance to crack it open and and enjoy the pictures and and the and the mottos and philosophies in there. Larry, thank you so much. You're welcome, Tracy. Have it's a really great really rest of the day, and you can all find a, a link to Life's a Bark by Larry Kay on the website and with the podcast of this show. I'll be right back after this quick word. Support for Dog Talk comes from Precious Cat Litter, which is privately owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who is dedicated to creating litters to appeal to pussy cats and protect their health. All the Precious Cat Litters are low dust for the health of all members of the household. Touch of the Outdoors is their newest litter made from field grass that provides environmental enrichment for indoor cats and entices them into the litter box with the natural scent of the great outdoors. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness in all their oils. I am back with Agent Brandoir from Investigations Communication Officer from the Ontario SPCA in Canada. Brad, I am so glad you got in touch with me because you have so much to offer us in terms of the kind of dangers that dogs get into and you have to investigate it. What kind of things go on in Canada with dogs and cars in the summer? Well, I'm sure it's not much different than any other part of the world. Uh, unfortunately, um, Individuals uh, make the decision to leave their pets unattended in a vehicle, which uh, which is a huge concern, uh, not only in uh, the cold weather, but also in the extreme heat. 
And I, heat is, is the one that, that seems to kill most dramatically and horribly. And I guess at, at sometime last year, I had a, a little um, chart or something on, on my website, how quickly a car heats up inside when it's a hot, sunny day. Is it like 20 degrees a minute or something so amazing, like an oven? It becomes an oven. Absolutely. It's, uh, we've done a number of tests ourselves uh, to, to see how quickly it'll heat up inside a car. And in, in one of the tests, we, we decided to try and cook a, an egg, bacon, and a hot dog on the dash of a car. No. And, and in doing so, uh, we actually did it no different than if someone were to decide to go for a quick ride. So we, we ran the air conditioning for about five to ten minutes. Oh, And then my we shut God. everything down, left the windows open, and, uh, and watched and monitored the temperature inside. And within about 41 minutes, uh, the internal temperature of the vehicle was uh, 148 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my God! And the hot dog, yeah, the hot dog had fully cooked. Uh, the egg whites um, hadn't cooked, but the yolks were were rock hard, and wow. the bacon had started to go crispy. Wow! I mean, I'm I'm actually, and this is rare for me, completely speechless. I mean, what an amazing way to prove something that we've all sort of known. But people get really sloppy about. It. I, I guess, Brad, you must have seen some very upsetting and depressing situations, or, or maybe happy ones, where you've been able, or with the intervention of, of pedestrians or other citizens, intervene before a tragedy. I, I read somewhere recently that in the U.S., just this far in 2014, 44 human children have cooked to death in cars. Human children that's just wow. until now so it gives you some idea a dog and a little child in a car seat are about the same size but the dog's wearing also a fur coat and has no skin that allows for cooling they only have their yeah. tongue and their paws so i imagine you've, you you've had to be at the scenes of some some horribly sad situations yeah I, unfortunately uh, and um, you know, every day, especially in, during the summer, we get uh, our call volume goes through the roof. Um, where where normally we would see maybe, you know, in the spring we get one or two calls, maybe three in a week, to uh, uh, twenty to thirty in a week. Um, and and unfortunately, in some of those cases, and it happens each and every year, uh, the animals succumb to the conditions that they've been left in. And unfortunately, we arrive to find a deceased animal inside that vehicle. And it's obviously a cruel and horrible death. I mean, you're burning to death. You're, you're burning in an oven. The thing that, that seems remarkable to me is that, that people that are otherwise fairly reasonable and have a functioning IQ, they have this very bizarre idea that if they crack the window two inches in a car and they park it even in what they would proudly say is the shade, they seem to not recognize the fact that the sun moves. And therefore, what's the shade now isn't the shade in five minutes or when cloud cover goes by. And having your windows even all the way down, as proven in your remarkable test, it doesn't matter. It's still an oven, and it bakes in there. And I, I remember once on, on Main Street in East Hampton a number of years ago, uh, there was a car parked parallel along the curb, and hot sun was not pouring through the windshield, but it was a very hot day, and there was a small poodle in there. Its tongue was very bright red and was panting really, really hard, and I called the police, and by the time they came, small community, they came quickly, luckily. It was about eight minutes, and a woman came sauntering out of the Starbucks. I'm like, 
Do you realize you left this dog here? Oh, I just went in for five minutes to get a coffee. I said, first of all, I've been here 15 minutes. Nothing in life takes five minutes, Brad. Why do people think that when they're taking care of some need of theirs, return a library book, get a coffee, stop to talk to a friend, that somehow there isn't a crisis happening in the car? And then they get in and it's boiling hot. So they blast the air conditioning and being humans with all this skin we have, they feel cooler right away. But the dog's in a thermal crisis. How can people just not get it? Well, unfortunately, you know, having having dealt with a number of these situations through the years, there, there are so many excuses that we hear. Um, you know, I'll only be five minutes. Yes. I left the windows open. It's yes. not that hot out. I'm just running in quickly. Yes. Uh, my dog has a thin coat. The sun's right. not even out, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, um, you know, like you, you mentioned, the, the temperatures, windows open, windows closed. There were studies done in the, the United States that um, they tried it on relatively mild days, on extremely hot days. They had the windows open, windows closed. And the fact of the matter is, regardless of the outside temperature, the interior temperature of the car will always be 2 to 3% higher than outside. So you're always going to get that increased temperature, regardless of whether it's windy out or, or a bit of a breeze or you park in the shade. I mean, when you, when you stop and look at it, a car, for the most part, uh, the top half of it's made out of glass. That's so right. So that acts no different than, like, I would refer to a, a greenhouse. Um, you're leaving an animal behind glass where it's not insulated and protected from the elements, and, uh, and it doesn't take long for them to uh, start to suffer. And I, I'm not an expert, as a veterinarian would be, but uh, it was explained to me this way that, uh, as you mentioned, the, the animals pant to try to cool down. Yes. Um, they can uh, sweat a little bit through their paws. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, they're left on a hot surface, that being uh, whatever's in direct light of the sun. Yes. And what happens with the animals is essentially what was designed to be their cooling system quickly turns into a furnace for them. Exactly. So they actually, instead of panting to cool down and sweating through their paws, that ceases to exist and the panting is now a stress and they actually begin to turn on a furnace internally and then that's where that danger comes because now they're heating up inside in, in uh, connection with what's happening in their environment around them. So it, it's, um, it's one of those very tricky things and you know our message in Ontario is never leave a pet unattended doesn't matter what temperature it out outside whether it's summer winter fall spring it's irrelevant um, we're responsible pet owners and as such we never want to put our pets in harm's way well I'm surprised about the winter or the fall because I guess I would I would not fall within your your guidelines because I do leave my dogs in the car when it's under like 66 degrees outside and certainly in the winter if it's cold they're Weimaraners they have no fur coat at all they're wearing a coat and the windows are up and there's more than one dog so they have each other's body heat but I guess I'm guessing that you have to have this rule because if you give people wiggle room it's sort of like AA you can't just have one drink you have to have well, no drinks. I mean, is that the reason you need people to understand that the dog left alone in the car is always in jeopardy? And if you say, well, as long as it's not too hot, it leaves people too much up to their own devices? Well, ultimately, it's, uh, it's one of those fine lines that how do you find? Um, so is it safe to say that 20 degrees is safe? 
right. then then right. why not 21 right. or or why not 22 yes. the other side of it is the habit side so yes. if we get used to You're a right. habit of leaving our pets in a vehicle um, then we're more likely to do that on the day where we probably really shouldn't and and unfortunately the animal will suffer it's a very now, good point it's a very good point because we are creatures of habit and we think well it's not that hot. And then, of course, the truth is, if you look on your daily weather on the computer, it's quite shocking because I take my dog, it's the summer, and I take her for a long hike of an hour in the morning, and it shows me that at 7 a.m. it's going to be 60 degrees, but at 8 a.m. it will be as much as 70. I have to go very, very early. So in, yeah. in, in an hour, the heat can go up 10, 15 degrees on a normal summer day. Absolutely. And so that's something that people don't factor in. Well, when I got in the car, it was X degrees, but those degrees are mounting all the time, and they're making the oven even hotter. Exactly. So in Ontario, there is no law that says you can't leave your pet in a vehicle. But what the law does state is um, that under the Ontario SPCA Act, uh, that an animal would be considered to be in distress if left in a condition like that because it's not being provided in accordance with the standards of care. And in Ontario, that would fall under access to fresh water, um, suitable and appropriate lighting, ventilation, and shelter. And I'll be darned. the really big key one is they, they're not provided a shelter that protects them from the elements of the outside. So, so you use the rules on the books that are, let's say, perhaps intended to protect a dog who's left outside all the time and doesn't have a dog house. The people we think of as... To those of us that are giant dog lovers, maybe even abusive in their neglect, benign neglect. And you're using those same laws to say, hey, it's no different inside your car than a dog chained outside in a yard with, a, with an inadequate dog house. Absolutely. Um, the definition of distress through the Ontario SPCA Act is distress means the state of being in need of proper care, water, food or shelter or being injured, sick or in pain or suffering or being abused or subject to unnecessary hardship, privation or neglect. So when you look at, at that definition, and you look at an animal being left in a vehicle, it certainly meets that definition it, in a number it, of areas. It does. It's really shocking. I mean, privation in the heat is clear as a, a bell, and, and it's, it's certainly inadequate shelter. It's, it's the opposite of shelter. It's putting the animal in harm's way when it was totally exactly. avoidable. You're right about it being a habit. I mean, people who have portable dogs, small dogs that they can carry, that's, I guess, on some level, just being a big dog owner, selfishly, that bothered me the most about that toy poodle because there was no reason right. the dog needed to stay in the car. The dog could have been in a carry bag or walking. It didn't need to stay in the oven. So people yeah. that would leave a small dog in a car, and I've seen it, little, little barking dogs that are working themselves up even to more of a heat stroke, those dogs, there's no, every place you go, you can put the dog in a carry bag or don't go into a place where you can't have the dog in a carry bag, you know, make a different plan for the day. Yeah, yeah. So I know, um, uh, you know, this is something that we do hear about each and every year. Um, for, for us here in Ontario, um, we decided to take a very strong, proactive approach to addressing this issue. Um, in 2012, uh, a dog died at a... Um, uh, being left in a vehicle at a local mall uh, in Vaughan. And uh, that, that sort of sparked a, a sort of, we need to do more to get this message out. And, and that um, ended up being in the creation of what's called Operation Value. 
oh, vulnerable nice. animals left unattended every day. And what, what kind of sparked as a very um, uh, local partnership with our, our local police, it, it quickly expanded. And um, two years later, in, uh, in this year, we've now become a provincial um, and what I would term a, a crime prevention initiative uh, through Operation Value, where our partnerships are now province-wide through policing agencies, through the uh, Veterinarian Medical Association, the uh, Vet Tech Association, Crime Stoppers, um, even our, our Chief of Police for Ontario um, are also a partner in this, ultimately to try to share. Because one organization, that's one voice. But once You're we start right. to get nine organizations and more, now it, it's not just one voice, but it's a, a very unified voice that's going out there. And it would be great to know that we could follow your example um, south of your border. If you've tuned in late, I'm talking to Agent Brad, who's the Investigations Communication Officer for the Ontario Canada SPCA, and we're talking about rules and laws that keep dogs safe and keep them basically out of cars if the people aren't in the car with them, but particularly in the heat. Brad, people in America or, or the United States um, seem very confused about what they're allowed to do. I, I know a lot of dog lovers um, that say, I'm going to open that car door and I'm going to break that window. And I'm assuming that the law must be the same on both sides of the border. People cannot take this into their own hands because even if they might be allowed by law, the owner of the car would come out and there might be a horrible altercation between the two humans over it. You, you need law enforcement in there. Is that right? Absolutely, and, and that situation just occurred um, in York Region in Ontario uh, just this past weekend um, where an animal was left unattended. Individuals did the right thing. They called and reported it, and that's what we strongly encourage, provide the sort of pertinent information, license plate, where the vehicle is located, and the current status of the dog. Um, but unfortunately, when the, the owners of the animals came out, um, the, the individuals who called in the report uh, started to intervene, and, and it ended up uh, resulting in a much bigger situation involving police. Um, I believe one person got injured. Um, so certainly that, that is the key message, is um, as someone who sees that, the, the sole job is to report it and, right. and provide as much detail as possible and then sort of step back. If the people come out and they leave, that's fine. You've gotten all the pertinent information and a follow-up can result. As long right. as you've captured the license plate, you know, in Ontario, we say that's fine. We'll do a follow-up. We'll go and check on the welfare of the animal. Um, but intervening is not, not going to work, and, and it's going to bring in a lot of legal issues that, that you don't or anyone doesn't really want to have to go through um, if they don't need to. Just simply report it, provide the detail, and sort of step back. And then, you know, and luckily, we, we, many of us live in communities where the police will come fairly quickly. I don't know what would happen in a big, busy city like Manhattan or whatever your biggest, most uh, trafficked area is. But if an animal's in severe distress and you're looking at them boiling in the car and counting the seconds and wishing you could just get them out of there and put them in a cool bath of water, it takes a lot of self-control to realize it, you've done all you can do and you have to step back. Because I, I don't think there's anyone quite as mad as the pet owner who comes out and is confronted. They are so defensive. They are furious. They're embarrassed. They're shamed. And they're livid. How dare you tell me what to do? They're never going to say, oh, thanks for pointing it out. I won't do that again, right? I mean, that's just never going to be the reaction. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's sort of the, um, the concerning part is because people want to get involved and they want to try to prevent the animals from suffering. Um, yeah, when they, when they do confront the, the pet owner as they come out, it, it doesn't usually end very well. Right. And, and you're right, it is a very defensive stance that they take. And, and unfortunately, you're not going to win that battle. That's um, right. It's best to leave it to law enforcement to deal with. Because the car is their property and so is the dog. And whether or not you're Absolutely. recognizing the, 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 the suffering of a sentient being, that's somebody's property. And you're going to be the one who's in legal tra- trouble for messing with that property. And you could get yourself hurt. And, and luckily, at least in, in Ontario, everyone is very, very wise to the situation. All these agencies, as you point out, have, have, have shared information, have educated each other. And maybe each individual county in, in Canada might not be as good, and certainly in America, state by state, not as good either. But you, you still have to depend on the authority figure to handle it. Is there ever a situation in which a, a cop would come, an officer would come and say, oh, that's all right, we'll just let them leave? I mean, people seem to want some kind of vengeance or justice. You get in that car, you put on a fur coat and mittens and see how you like it. I mean, is there ever a sense that the that the, the perpetrator doesn't get the just desserts, I wonder? Well, there, there's certainly, uh, I mean, every case has to be looked at individually, and, and the officers are going to make the best judgment call based on the situation. So, um, you know, sometimes the animals have to be removed from the vehicle, Yes, and, and that does happen quite often uh, that the animals are removed and they're put into a, a you know the the police will put it in their conditioned vehicle or or one of our officers will do the same. Um, in the more severe cases, they're immediately rushed to a, a vet emerge. Yes, um, yes, and, and that'll all depend on the situation. Charges will will follow. I mean, there there could be federal laws uh, under our criminal code of Canada where they can be charged. It may be. If it's uh, if the animal has um, you know really suffered, it's uh, it's non-responsive, it's convulsed, etc., or or it has succumbed to the conditions. In the less serious side, it may be under our provincial legislation that uh, that it gets addressed. Um, in in some cities, there are bylaws where um, if the animal is seems fine and it's completely responsive and the officer may uh, issue a fine for that and uh, and also a stern warning not to do it. So, you know, every case is different, and, and not all of them result in charges. Um, certainly the message is always given out there. And you had mentioned earlier that uh, in some of the, the more populated areas uh, in, in Ontario, probably Toronto would be our highest population. Right, right. So there's uh, several million people living there. And that was sort of really key for us to try to get the uh, the Toronto Police Services on board as a partner, and they actually jumped on board back uh, three years ago when we nice. first started. So you and, guys, have, uh, you guys have got this really wrapped up beautifully up in Canada. I hope we can follow your example. We've run out of time, Agent Brad, but we really appreciate your dedication to this cause and for helping us to understand how serious it is. I consider myself a a a. a, a, a remediated person. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't do it in the heat, but now I'm going to really consider doing it at all. Surely if I cross the border, my dogs are going to come out of that car with me. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of the day. I hope nothing bad happens to the pets in your area. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Nice spending time with you. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again soon. Bye for now.